This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. God didn't give us a a systematic theology to work our way through or a confession of faith to to read. Um, He gave us the story of redemption from beginning to end. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend and co-host, James Dolezal. James, how are you doing today? I'm well, Jonathan. We are both looking forward to uh, speaking with our guest today. Our guest is uh, Pastor Mark Johnston. He's the pastor of Trinity Church, um, which is an evangelical Presbyterian church in Northern Ireland. It's in the Port of Down area. And Mark actually planted the church, was used by God to plant that church in, in 1984, and then has recently returned to the church in, in 2020 to serve as pastor. And that could be the subject of a conversation as well, I'm sure. But what we actually wanted him to talk about today was a new book that's been published by the Banner of Truth called This World is Not My Home, Reflections for Pilgrims on the Way. So, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's great to be with you, Jonathan, and uh, glad to renew fellowship, albeit online. Yeah, it'll be better when we can when we can be together in person, but it is good to, to see you and hear from you. I wanted to speak just a little bit about the the genesis of this book. A, a lot of the material in this book was was published over time uh, on Place for Truth, which is one of the Alliance websites. But there are certain themes that emerge in in both uh, those initial columns and then at, that sort of come together in this book related to being a pilgrim and serving serving the Lord, awaiting the fulfillment of his promises. So I wonder if you could talk about some of the threads that kind of come together in, in, in all of these columns, and then we can speak about specific themes. Yeah, the, the, I guess the, the, the big thread that, that holds it all together is, is the plot line of the Bible itself. Um, uh, to, my, to my shame, when I was a student at Westminster Seminary back in the the early 1980s and, and enjoyed so, ma- so many of the classes there. They, one section of the course that, that while I was a student, I really struggled to appreciate was the, the place of biblical theology um, in the, the theological curriculum. It was honestly five years after I'd graduated from Westminster that suddenly the, the light came on and I realized why biblical theology is so vital to the, the, the whole corpus of theology. Namely, it, it, it it, it roots the great doctrines that we confess and adhere to um, in, in the, the storyline of the Bible. Uh, and, and there's one particular quote that, that um, I think it's Gehardus Voss made it, that, that God did not give us a book of dogma, um, but a book of history full of dramatic interest. And, and that little, little quote just gripped me because it, it, it tells us that, that God didn't give us a, a systematic theology to work our way through or a confession of faith to, to read he gave us the story of redemption from beginning to end. Um, and and as, as you begin in Genesis, beginning in paradise, everything's starting so well, and, and then you see things going so horribly wrong. You know, the rest of the Bible is, is the story of, of how God not only promised re- redemption and, and prefigured all that it would entail, uh, but then brought it to fruition and fulfillment with the coming of Christ and, and on through to where it would ultimately lead in the, in the glory of the world to come. And, and I think that theme has been picked up again and again in the in the, the history of the church, perhaps most notably in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, that, that there's a kind of personal recapitulation of that story in our own experience, except we're not born into paradise, we're born into lostness. Um, but it's the story of the journey from city of destruction to 
the, the celestial city and, and the glory of the world to come. Um, and 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 what what I what I tried to do first of all in those articles that appeared in Place for Truth was to um, was to pick out some of the the key um, components of of that unfolding story of redemption and just highlight them from different passages of scripture and try to apply them to not only individual Christian life and experience, but to the experience of the church as well. Um, and then when it came to collating the 30 or so uh, chapters that comprised the book that were, were all taken from articles in PFT, I joined them together into um, five major sections uh, that covered the, the, the stages of that journey. Yeah, for for the sake of our listeners, why don't you walk through those five sections? Because I I think that you put your finger on something that I see among a lot of Christians, particularly those new to the faith, but even those who have been Christians for some time, that they see the Bible as kind of a source book of quotations, um, maybe of exhortations or of commands, or 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 maybe worse yet, as kind of inspirational sayings, and, and they're missing that whole framework uh, of of the the plot line so so how did you divide that up by, by taking some of the major contours that, that come out in scripture itself and, and are alluded to from the very beginning so the the first section is entitled from eden to the new jerusalem uh, and it just walks straight into the book of genesis and the, and they uh, not only the story of creation and, and and the perfection of of adam's original home um, but then the exile into which he was sent um, and, and, and really um, latching on to the to the the idea of of our being restless wanderers on the face of the earth. But that's the NIV translation of of the curse of Cain that he was doomed to be a restless wanderer on the face of the earth. And and uh, you know, I think immediately that captures something of the the human condition that that ever since then human beings of of every race and every circumstance feel a restlessness in this world. They're in it, but but they feel as though they don't fit, they don't belong, and, and it it expresses itself in in a multitude multitude of ways individually and and collectively. Um, so the, the the next section of that and that and that is going on to speaking about the the trying to make sense of the here and now. So applying the um, the condition of man as we find it in in fallen Adam and and his his posterity to those things that we wrestle with and that the human race has wrestled with um, throughout its entire history. Um, but, but following that all the way through to the turning point that, that, that comes in, in the fulfillment of God's promise of a redeemer, um, anticipated through the Old Testament in, in every way, not just in prophecy, but also in the, the fabric of Israel, the ceremony of the, the worship system, um, but then fulfilled with the coming of Christ and, and what he would secure, what he would usher in, and, and where he would ultimately go. Uh, so it's striking that the book of Hebrews uh, is very much taken up with this theme, and, and it describes Jesus as the the pioneer of our salvation, the one who has gone ahead of us through the veil to the uh, to the sanctuary, to the the home that God is preparing for us, um, and and then rounding off that that section um, with with just a, a recapitulation of the book's title: "This world is not my home." Uh, that as we as we understand ourselves, not in light of our family circumstance or our culture, but understanding ourselves in light of scripture, then, then we realize, no, we're, we're, we're resident aliens here. Um, we're pilgrims passing through. And, and that actually uh, puts life in an altogether different perspective for us in the midst of its struggles and challenges. Um, but then the, the next major section deals with, the, with Jesus as the pioneer um, of our salvation. Again, just using that language from the book of Hebrews and, and focusing on, on the Lord Jesus Christ 
you know, and again, you know, that, that, that's not without significance because too often as Christians, we think of salvation in terms of what we get in our Christian life, the, the, the benefits that come our way. Whereas the whole thrust of the Bible's message is it's, is the one in whom we find all these blessings. Um, so yes, there's a place for for reflecting upon um, the all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms that that Paul speaks about in Ephesians. But the key is that that all of those blessings only become ours and only remain ours through our union and communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And and the beautiful thing about Jesus, the more we reflect upon Him and and focus on Him, we, we realize that He's actually stepped into our shoes. Um, that 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 he has he has actually lived a, a genuinely human life with all its limitations for our sake, facing all the challenges that we face, the temptations that we face, um, in order that 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 he should go through everything that we've had to face and worse besides. Um, but instead of failing as Adam failed and failing as we all fail, he succeeded at every point along the way. He was tempted in every way, like as we are, but was without sin. Um, and, and, and he has not only fulfilled all righteousness, but he has, he has satisfied the demands of divine justice by, by paying the penalty for us. So, you know, so I want, I want to, to, you know, to highlight very much that Jesus Christ is the, is the key to our salvation. And it's, it's, it's kind of flagging up something that was, you know, I think, in many ways only, only rediscovered, at least in British Reformed theology in relatively recent times, it, it, namely that that. Um, that salvation is is intimately bound up with union with Christ. Um, that to have Him is to have all the benefits that are promised to us in the gospel. I home in a different aspects of of Christ, tempted, tried, but but never failing. Um, looking at at Gethsemane as as the uh, the key to the mystery of the gospel in many ways. Often we think of of the the sufferings of Christ um, purely in terms of Calvary itself and Jesus on the cross. But actually, the, the sufferings of Christ are much broader. And, and in many ways, they, the sufferings of Christ reach their crisis moment in Gethsemane. Uh, because it's there in Gethsemane that, that Jesus prays, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Um, and, and he was clearly in agony. You know, there had to be an angel sent from heaven to support him. Uh, Luke tells us he was sweating, sweat mixed with blood. Um, it's it's kind of a, a personal theory of mine that whenever 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 the, the writer to the Hebrews in chapter twelve points to to Jesus um, and, and and says that we have uh, that we as Christians uh, or, the, or the, the the Hebrews that he was writing to have not yet resisted temptation to the point of shedding blood that he was pointing to the cross there um, I, I'm inclined to think that actually. The, the, the temptation of Christ reached its most intense in the garden because he dared to voice that request. If it's possible, let the cup pass, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Um, and and, and you know, the bloody sweat that oozed through his pores was an indication of the depths of struggle he was going through, but that, that's a sidebar. And, and then just picking up on, a, on a, a, again, a significant comment that Jesus makes in the upper room, uh, in the discourse where he, he tells the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans in this world, um, but will send another comforter pointing to the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that, that was just choice language that he used um, because they, 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 the instinct of the disciples after the, the ascension of Christ was indeed that they had been left as orphans. But Jesus assured them that that wasn't the case, that we don't make this journey alone through this life, that the Spirit 
the spirit of Christ himself is ever with us um, and, and ever upholding us in the midst of our, our struggles. Um, section three uh, focuses on the church as the pilgrim people of God traveling together, facing the struggles together um, and, and, and highlighting it, it's, it's kind of a, not a pet peeve, but, but one of the things that, that I've very much admired about American reformed Christianity, namely that they have a, a high, high view of the church and, and a, a very high view of the, the role of the church in daily Christians' experience. I, I think here in the UK, we've, we've still leaned too much towards an individualistic and, uh, view of, of Christian living um, and, and a failure to really appreciate the, uh, the, the centrality of the doctrine of the church and what it means to be a Christian. Uh, that we live as the family of God and, and explore that in a, a range of, of ways, not least looking at, at covenant um, and, and the, the vital importance of covenant in that bond and, and describe it as a living and loving and, and legally binding relationship um, by which we are upheld. Go on to look at the living the Christian life, living the, the, the life of the pilgrim, um, and, and just highlighting some of the things that uh, sometimes we... we know but don't know you know sort of the fear of the lord isn't it strange that in in today's generation the whole idea of the fear of the lord is almost dropped out of our vocabulary and yet it's so critical in the in the whole message of scripture look at grace uh spend a section looking at what i, what I call faith on the edge of reason christians are embarrassed to own up to the fact that we often struggle with doubt and uncertainty but the bible has no embarrassment about pointing to um, to, to believers who struggle and who wrestle with big questions, that it's actually uh, a healthy sign that, that we're not just taking things for granted and coasting through. Final section deals with um, the importance of, of joy. It's entitled Rejoicing in Hope and Heading for Home. Um, you know, if we read our Bibles carefully, the, the idea of a joyless Christian is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms that if we genuinely um, have received this this great salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we should be the most joyful individuals on the face of the earth. And, and that joy should radiate as an apologetic for this good news that we have received in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's an overview. No, and and it gives a, it gives uh, our listeners, I think, a taste of what what's in store for them with this book. I think that one of the things that always struck me in the columns as they as they came out, and then. Now, now in book form, is that that idea of being a resident alien, title of the column, or 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 a, the, saying that this world is not my home, can initially sound like a bit of a downer. That you're 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 saying there are all kinds of problems here, um, and and we shouldn't feel at home. But in the end, it ends up not only giving us the correct perspective and the correct set of expectations, but but it ends up being a tremendous encouragement to us because we start to then see things in the Bible and even in the the the, the ministry of the Lord, which which we might otherwise miss. So superficially, maybe uh, sounds like a bit of bad news, but it actually turns out to be a, a, to crack open um, all of these rich and encouraging and 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 ultimately joy producing truths. They, you know, the, the title "Resident Aliens" obviously is taken from what. Uh, what what Peter talks about in one Peter chapter one of being aliens and strangers in this this present age, um, but but it's it, it's taken directly from the U.S. Immigration Service resident aliens. You know, I, I've had lived two portions of my life in the U.S.A. Once in the 1980s when I was a student at Westminster Seminary, 
and then latterly in in back in Philadelphia as the pastor of Proclamation Presbyterian Church on the edge of the city. Um, but but you're coming through immigration from, right from that first time. I used to smile to myself whenever I was labelled a resident alien. You know, and at first I thought this is an insult. You know, I'm, I'm a British citizen and, and to be called a resident alien sounds like a, um, some, some kind of put down. But actually, um, you know, the more I thought about it, the, the more actually it made sense of life there. Because those two stints in the USA were two of the happiest periods of my life, shared life, because I was married in both, in, in both occasions. Um, but we were there, but we belonged somewhere else. But that didn't in any way minimize our appreciation of um, our American friends and brothers and sisters, American culture, all the benefits of living in, in the USA. So uh, it, it's a wonderful picture of being citizens of heaven, um, but temporary residents here in this world. We can enjoy this world, but we do so because we know our home's in a better place and our future's in a, a more glorious context. Mark, I wonder, maybe maybe you could make a comment to that. You just, it struck a, you raised a thought in my mind about how it is that resident aliens, you know, who are bearing a cross through this world in this veil of tears can also can also find joy in it. And you, you even made a comment uh, that it allows us it allows us to enjoy it. How to enjoy this world? How are we better able to enjoy this world and this life with the recognition of our alien status? How does that help us enjoy it? And what, as opposed to the way, like, say, uh, an unbeliever might try to enjoy the world? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's precisely at that point how, how an unbeliever sees the world and how a Christian sees the world. Uh, an unbeliever looks at the world and and you know, has to ask the question that, that Charles Dickens' Mr. Micawber asked, is this the best of all possible worlds? And, and they look around and, it, and it, it's, it's a, an ugly place to live. It, it's a painful place to live. It's a perplexing place to live. But, they, but they've got no other angle in this world than to try and make the best of what they've got. Whereas for, for, a, for a Christian, we, we've tasted of the powers of the age to come, is what the Hebrews say. In regeneration and, and the work of the Spirit, our eyes are open to see things in an altogether different way. You know, so, so we look out in this world, in the landscape of this world, and we see it as, as, as God's world, which has been destroyed at the hands of sinful man. And, and we've made a mess of the home that God has given us. We've trashed the home that God has given us. Um, but, but the good news is that that's not the end of the story. You know, barely has God pronounced the words of curse and condemnation on Adam in the garden, and um, before he's saying, but I've got the solution. Um, the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. Um, and and from, from that point onwards, you know, the, the world was waiting until the seed came. You know, even in the Old Testament, isn't it, isn't it astonished that astonishing that that even though nobody could yet see how 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 wonderful this seed would be in the coming of Christ, the Son of God in human flesh, um, all the glimpses that they got just changed their perspective on life in this world. But then with the coming of Christ and we realize who is our savior, then it just, it just leaps onto a different plane. And, and suddenly we realize that he's gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us, that where he is, we may be also. We, we, we get the, you know, these glorious glimpses of the, not simply heaven, which, which too often in Christian understanding is a, an ethereal notion of disembodied spirits, but it's the new heavens, the new earth, the home of righteousness. You know, and especially in this, this, 
um, age which is obsessed with with global warming and the, and the ruin of the planet. You know, we're looking forward to a, a perfected universe and a perfected planet um, in which there is nothing out of place and, and nothing but um, beauty to enjoy in fellowship with the maker and, and creator who is, who is also our savior. So I, so I think it, it gives us a different perspective. But more than that, because, because the, the essence of our heavenly citizenship is because we are, we are joined to the king of heaven. We, we are in him. He is in us. And, and um, even though we, we are living here, we actually belong there. And, and we are already lifted up into heaven with him. Um, and that, that even touches upon our, our view of worship. The book of Hebrews, again, chapter 12, says that in worship, it's not, it's not as though Jesus comes down to meet with us. He says we are lifted up to the, to the, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we're in the company of angels and heavenly beings and the, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You know, so whenever we begin to grasp those, they're not simply doctrines, they're, they're gospel realities through Christ. And when we, we, when we sense that, then our worship is transformed our, our place in this world is transformed. Our ability to cope with suffering is transformed because we're connected to a better world. Mark, we're, we're basically out of time, but I wanted to ask one last question for our listeners' benefit. You mentioned at the beginning Gerhardus Voss and, and, and then also John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. I wonder, were there other books that in your, in your own life or even in the writing process, but probably the, you read these well before you ever put pen to paper on these columns. Um, were there particular books that crystallized this understanding of both where we stand with respect to the world and, and, and how we uh, are, are to live in light of that and, and even look at ourselves in light of that? Uh, have there been particular touchstone volumes that, that, that you would commend to Christians? You know, recent one and a very accessible one um, that, that um, Derek Thomas has written is Heaven on Earth. I remember getting that and reading that uh, whenever it came in, and it came in print just relatively recently, but I, I think I may have emailed Derek and said, Derek, you, you've just crystallized for me everything I've thought for a lifetime as a Christian, um, but sometimes didn't dare to, to, to voice. Because I think, I think we, as, as Christians, we're, there's, there's been a tendency to kind of dislocate heaven and make it so wholly different from our experience in this world that it's, it's, it's just a, a, some kind of a spiritual reality and not a, a concrete reality. Uh, but, but the fact that Derek, for example, uses the expression, Jesus has a zip code because he brought his, 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 his earthly nature into heaven with him. It's just a, a wonderful way of saying that heaven is going to be a gloriously tangible place, but we have a foretaste of it here in this earth. So that there's, that there's, that there's Derek, there's, there's John Stott, there's, there's Packer. Um, men like that have been hugely influential to me, and, and they've they, they've all tapped into to this theme, uh, not because it's a it's a new idea. It you know, goes back through through Bunyan, through the the Puritans, the reformers. All of them were gripped by this, and, and in many ways, this great reality was the the, the secret um, to to how they were able to live faithfully and joyfully in this present age. That's a great list. I mean, you I, I take it you always suspected there would be dogs in heaven and then Derek's book just confirmed that for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, sometimes I used to whisper that, but didn't voice it. Too <laughs> That's right. And he just put put it put it out there for us. <laughs> well, hey, Mark, uh, it's it's always a joy to uh, to see you and speak with you. And thanks for giving us some time today. Pleasure, guys, and every blessing on your work. 
James, it's always a joy to reconnect with uh, old friends, particularly being separated by the pandemic. And I always appreciate uh, Mark, but I am very um, excited to see what were formerly columns on Place for Truth under the heading Resident Aliens to now be in book form. And and I think what's what's striking, and it came through in the interview, was that these columns written over a period of years really do have some significant uh, themes that that or, or, or a big theme that kind of binds them all together. I think this is a, a reminder uh, that every Christian in every age is going to need to to um, grab hold of of this status that this world is not our home and that here we have no lasting city. And I was thinking, I was, I was struck, as I mentioned in our, in our discussion with Mark, by his comment about how this enables us or allows us to enjoy the world. I think the first time I had heard that was many years ago in a class with Sinclair Ferguson talking about 1 Corinthians 7, where, he, where Paul says that we should use the world as though not using it. Uh, and there's this... Um, this, because we have no lasting city here, and because we're not trying to build the eternal state here and in this life, there's a sense in which we can have a, a more realistic expectation about what about this world's goods. We're not trying to transform the transient goods of this world into the durable and everlasting goods of the eternal state. And so there's a sense in which we we can pass through this world, which is a which is a world, as you mentioned, that is marred by sin, uh, and we feel it all personally. Uh, and yet, we are able to use the world and the goods in the world in a way that is freer uh, than the unbeliever, because here we have no lasting city, and because this world is not our home, and we're not expecting it or treating it as if it as if it is ultimate. That way, when it goes away, whenever those good things that we enjoy, when we lose them, we have the ability to lose them and not um, and not be utterly uh, destroyed by that loss. I mean, I, when I lose a right. good trans, a transient good, I miss it. Um, I'm sorry that it's gone, uh, and yet my my final hope has not been demolished as a result of that because this world is not my home. Right. Right. Yeah. And such an important perspective. We need to keep reminding ourselves of it. And and so often when we feel a sense of anxiety about maybe even changes in the culture or or the way in which we're treated as Christians, it, it, it comes from losing sight of these very basic realities of the Christian faith. Well, I'm grateful to Mark for, for writing a book to put us in remembrance of them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and for those of you listening, if you'd like a chance to to uh, enter your name, and and we have we have a book to give away. Uh, so if you enter your name, you can uh, have the chance of winning a copy of this book. You can do that at placefortruth.org. Click on the theology on the go link, and there'll be a place for there there for you to enter your information for uh, this world is not my home. Reflections for pilgrims on the way, published by our friends at Banner of Truth. It's also very accessible. It's not a it's not a very expensive book, so you could go to the Banner of Truth website or wherever you might uh, buy books and pick it up there. This World is Not My Home. It's a great book to give away to someone, someone who's new to the faith, someone who is is trying to think through or or, or needs a reminder of these basic issues. Uh, highly recommend Mark's work. As always, we're grateful to you for listening to this podcast. If you know someone who would be helped by it, 
please pass it along to them. If you can give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, that helps us get out the word if that's how you download. Um, also, if you're able to give uh, financially, you can do that at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org. Both of those websites have a, a drop-down donate menu. Um, and, and as always, we thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Thank you.